Hey folks, just to let you know this show, I'm traveling and so the audio quality is not what I am regularly doing and might be what you're used to. So I ask your forgiveness, but I did not want you to miss an episode. Therefore, I recorded while on the road with the equipment that I had available. I hope you enjoy this anyway. Welcome to The Rap Report with your host, Andrew Rappaport, where we provide biblical interpretation and application. This is a ministry of striving for eternity and the Christian podcast community. For more content or to request a speaker for your church, go to strivingforeternity.org. Welcome to another edition of The Rap Report. I'm your host, Andrew Rappaport. We're here to answer your biblical interpretations, applications to all things in Christianity. This is a ministry of striving for eternity, a discipleship ministry, helping small churches grow in their knowledge of the Word of God. We come out to their churches, do weekend seminars. Cost doesn't matter. We have no speaking fee. The number of people doesn't matter. We will go where it is needed. This is podcast is a member of the Christian podcast community, of which I'm an executive director. We have over 50 vetted podcasts. There is something there that you will find you can listen to. So check it out. Go to christianpodcastcommunity.org. We are continuing our discussion slash series on what is a pastor. We started last episode in discussing what a pastor is not, and we said a pastor is not a woman. Now, we addressed some of the emotional arguments that people make when it comes to saying, well, a woman can be a pastor, and there are a lot of arguments made. I encourage you to go back to to the previous episode and listen to that one so that you're in tune with where we're going to pick up, because today we're picking up on why women cannot be pastors, looking at the arguments from the Bible that are made to justify or explain why women can be pastors. We're going to look at the context of those, because what do we provide here? Biblical interpretations and applications. Well, the interpretation of these passages that people use, I don't think what they think they mean. Just saying, but we're going to look at every one of the ones that I have been given, and look at those. I will say at the outset, if you have one that you think, well, I missed, well, then email us because we're going to be dealing with those as well. The email address is info at strivingforeternity.com. Strivingforeternity.com. Just info at strivingforeternity.com. That will get you the that will get to us so that we will be able to deal with your argument. Look, if you think I'm wrong, I'm okay with that. Uh, If you think I'm missing something, I'm okay with that. Let's discuss it. So this is one where we want to hear from you. In fact, we're bribing you to hear from you. Uh, we, We have more gifts to be sending out this week. If you email us with things that you want us to address when it comes to what it a pastor is. We have one that came in this week that I'm planning to address when we get to the qualifications of a pastor. What does it mean to be a, well, in the Greek, one-woman man? The, the, the pastor has to be the husband of one wife. What exactly does that mean? Is that dealing with divorce or something else? We're going to address that. We got that question in. That's going to be addressed soon. So what we're giving is we bought a bunch of these cords at a highly discounted price, just saying, so people don't think we're wasting money. This was actually my own money. It wasn't ministry money, but I donated these to the ministry. We have these cables 
called Lux. They're charging cables. They're high-speed cables that have a lifetime guarantee with them or, or warranty. So anything goes wrong with them, you just send it back to the company and they send out another. I know that actually works because my son... <laughs> He did that. So if you want to get one of these cables, they're, they're longer than normal cables, which I appreciate because I travel and I end up needing that extra length. But they're very solid cables. I like them. They do charge quicker than the normal ones, I guess because they're gold-plated. So if you want to get one of those, just email us with what you want to hear in this series or anything you think I got wrong or missing in the series. And if there's any that we need to catch up on like if we're if it's dealing with women's roles and we're wrapped up with that well i may do a, a wrap up to answering your questions at the end of the season if i didn't get them all so as the at the end of the series so with that email info at striving for eternity.com let's get into today's lesson this is one where i want to go through the arguments in in no particular order it's just the order that I heard them, that I was challenged with them, and I put them in a list I have of all the arguments that are made and my quick responses. So when they come up, I have a ready answer. And so this is me going through that whole document, looking through uh, one at a time each one of these. So we're going to start with Chloe in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 11. If you're not driving, I would encourage you to open your copy of God's Word. This is what uh, 1 Corinthians 1.11 says, speaking of Chloe, it says, For I have been informed concerning you, my brethren, by Chloe's people, that there are quarrels among you. Now, th the argument that some people have stated here is, as I've heard, at least, that there's people who say, well, see, because this says Chloe's people, or uh, referring to Chloe in this manner— People are trying to say that Chloe somehow um, w was the pastor. That's the argument that's made. Now, I'm going to first off say when we do interpretation, one thing we must do is remember that a translation is just that. It's a translation. We want to go back to the original languages. And so the word people is inserted. It is not there in the Greek. If you have a translation of, uh, that's a formal equivalent, that's a word-for-word -word translation, um, what you have is they're going to translate each word one at a time, and when they have to put filler words in, they're going to put it in italics. This is your New American Standard, your King James, New King James. These are going to be ones where you can easily see that the word people is added because, as I read out of the New American Standard, it's that word people's in italics. So it should be, for I have been informed concerning you, my brethren, by Chloe's, that there are quarrels among you. Now, this is probably referring to Chloe's house, not necessarily her congregation, as some say. And, and there are some translations that refer to it as Chloe's house. And so the, the claim, though, is that, well, if it's in her house, she's a house church leader. It could just be, I know this is a crazy thought, that maybe Chloe had the largest house and they needed the largest one for the gathering. I mean, think about how you would do church if you didn't have a church building. You would go and find the biggest home. In fact, when I was uh, in a church plant, we were just starting out. We didn't have a church building. I was looking to buy a house 
because of the fact that I was doing the preaching and I would I was filling that that role at the time the thought was is that well I should get a larger house because if I remained in that role it would make sense because we didn't have a church building where are we going to have bible studies so we needed someone with a bigger house now that is something that can factor in. I know someone else who was planting a church and did the same thing. He bought a bigger house than he normally would have, only so that he could have Bible studies because they didn't have a church building, and so the house became the building. Now, this is at a time when there weren't church buildings, so the house was what was used. So her house was used. That's all that the verse really states. It doesn't mention anything about her being in leadership. There's, there's no leadership role mentioned, it's just that she's been informed by people at Chloe's that there's quarrels. Well, what's is it people in Chloe's house? Who, who did Chloe talk to Paul? Well, we don't see that because it doesn't say it could be if it's by Chloe without the plural possessive. But the thing is, is that it's it's a question of when we examine this, we have to ask the question of what's the text actually saying and not read too much into it. There's no leadership role as assigned here. There's, it's only inserted and assumed when people want to use this passage to say that Chloe was a pastor. It could be that Chloe had the biggest house than anyone else in the church, and therefore that would fit for everyone. Or it could be that Chloe was the one that did all the cooking when the church would gather, and therefore it makes sense because it's the easiest on her. She's the one doing most of the cooking to have it at her house. But just having it at her house does not make her a leader in the church. And so when people argue for this being in Chloe's house, that that makes her a pastor, we can look at the context and see that's not the case. There's nothing here that says that she was a pastor or a leader in any way. Next we have Priscilla. Now, Priscilla is mentioned way more. I mean, we, we have only a few verses with many of these women but with Priscilla, we have an, a bunch. And I want to read some lengthy passages. So the first is, uh, the longest that we're going to read is Acts 18. <clears throat> and so this is what Acts 18 says regarding Priscilla. Then after, th after these things, he left Athens and went to Corinth. And this is speaking of Paul, by the way. Verse 2, And he found a Jew named Aquila, a native of Pontius, having recently come from Italy with his wife Priscilla. Because Claudius had commanded all the Jews to leave Rome, he came to them. And because he was one of the same trade, he stayed with them, and they were working for by trade, they were tent makers. And he, reasoned, and, and he was reasoning in the synagogues every Sabbath and trying to persuade the Jews and Greeks. Now, mind you, who is the one doing the reasoning here? It's Paul. Let's continue. Verse 5, but when Silas and Timothy came down from Macedonia, Paul began devoting himself completely to the word, solemnly testifying to the Jews that Jesus was the Christ. But when they insisted, uh, resisted and uh, blasphemed, he shook out his garments, took them, uh, and said to them, Your blood be on your own head. I am clean. From now on, I will go to the Gentiles. And then he left went to the house of a man named Titus Justus, a worshiper of God who was in the house next to the synagogue. Now, <clears throat> we see here that all that's mentioned here with Priscilla is that she is the wife of Aquila. 
So there's nothing else about Priscilla mentioned. Let's look at the next passage, and that is Romans 16, 3 to 5. It says, this is, again, Paul speaking. He says, Greet Priscilla and Aquila, my fellow workers in in Christ Jesus, who for my life risk their own necks, to whom not only do I give thanks, but also all the churches of the Gentiles. Also greet the church that is in their house. So what you see here, again, all that's mentioned is Priscilla is mentioned with Aquila. Now, some people will make this issue to say, well, she's mentioned first, so she must be the prior one. You know, we don't know why he, he mentions the wife first, but he did in this case. He didn't in Acts. In, Luke didn't in Acts. But here he refers to Priscilla first. Maybe he, he was uh, working closer at tent making with Priscilla. Maybe it's she who helped him when he, to, to risk her own neck for him. So he greets her first. We're not exactly sure. There's nothing given. But to read into that, that she is a leader in the church because she was mentioned first or that somehow she's preaching, there's no mention of that. All that we see here is that Priscilla and Aquila were his fellow workers. Could that be in tent making, which we already saw in Acts? It could be. Could it be in the ministry? Well, it sounds like it because it's it's what they're, you know, all the Gentile churches are, are grateful. Are they grateful that they spared, that they helped uh, risk their neck for Paul? That could be. There's nothing given to the reason here. So, so far, there's nothing that we could perceive in this to say that this is anything more than he's mentioning a husband and a wife. Let's continue to see if maybe more scripture helps us to understand. 1 Corinthians 16, 19. The churches of Asia greet you. Aquila and Priscilla greet you heartily in the Lord with the church that is in their house. Now notice this time Aquila is mentioned first, not Priscilla. So now you have the dilemma if you're saying that Priscilla mentioning first makes her the pastor because then I guess now it's reversed. Now he's the pastor and she's not. You see, this is the problem when people try to read something into Scripture. But what is very clear in both the passages we just looked at is that the church meets in their house. In, in their house. Why? Maybe they're the biggest house. Maybe, again, Priscilla's mentioned first in the other passage because she's doing all the cooking. Whatever the reason, we don't know. The only thing that's mentioned here is the greeting, that they greet them. Let's look at the last one that we have for Priscilla, and that is 2 Timothy 4.19. Greet Priscilla and Aquila and the household of an Ornormius. So, so what you have here is three passages that just mention to greet Aquila and Priscilla. Why? Because the church meets in their house. It's never mentioned uh, her without her husband, by the way. <clears throat> is it If we say Bill and Hillary Clinton, now Bill was the president. Does that mean Hillary was the president? No. If we say Joe and Jill Biden, well, Joe is the president. Does that mean that Jill is the president? No. Mentioning the two together doesn't mean one has a role that the other has. 
And to infer a role just because they're both mentioned, to infer that she's doing the preaching and teaching that Paul was doing in the synagogue, and that's the assumption that she was teaching alongside of Paul, to make that assumption is just that. It's an assumption. There's nothing in any of the passages that refer to her as being anything other than by her husband's side. It's her, the his house where she's probably doing the cooking, but there's no other mention. She's never mentioned without her husband. There's no evidence that she ever taught um, anybody. We, we might can look to, to Acts 18 if we continue in there and see that her husband, she and her husband were teaching, and that passage is the lengthy passage. I didn't get to read the whole thing, but when you get to it, you end up seeing that she was that that they were teaching Apollos when they found him. But who did the teaching of Apollos? It doesn't say it was from her. It just said that they were working with Paul. They see Apollos, and they were teaching him. This is in verse 23 of chapter 18 of Acts. And having spent some time there, he left and passed uh, through the Galatia region, strengthening the disciples. A Jew named Apollos, an Alexandrian by birth, an eloquent man, came to Ephesus, uh, and he was mighty in the scriptures. A man had been instructed in the way of the Lord. Okay, and then we see in verse 26, and he began to speak out boldly in the synagogue. But when Priscilla and Aquila heard him, they took him aside and explained to him the way of God more accurately. So you see that, yes, she might be mentioned first in that passage, but it does not say that she did the teaching. It says that both her and her husband did the teaching. So to make the case that she's somehow teaching men or a pastor, based on that passage, it doesn't say that. She's mentioned with her husband teaching Apollos. It doesn't say she said anything. She could have been completely silent and let her husband do all the talking, for all we know. There's nothing in the text that says otherwise. There's nothing in the text that says she taught, and there's nothing that says she didn't. So to use passages like this to insert something or to make a doctrine to say that women can teach or preach would be to read into the scriptures something that is not there. It's to assume something of the text. And I want to remind you, it's a, a paraphrase from John Calvin, obviously a paraphrase because he didn't write this in English, so it's translated and I'm paraphrasing from that. But he says that when you take God's word out of context, you no longer have God's word you have man's word. And when you insert something into the scripture that's not clearly there, you have man's word. You no longer have God's word. And that's what's happening here. The text does not say what they claim it says. So because it doesn't say it, who's right? Could Priscilla have taught? In fact, I'll say this. Yes, I could say that maybe she did teach Apollos. But would it have been wrong according to what we saw last week in First Corinthians, uh, sorry, in First Timothy two? Yes. See, the the point is not that just because a woman teaches a man, that's not what makes it right. In fact, it could be that the reason we don't see if she did teach, maybe we don't see it because God knew that was wrong, because this clear text of Scripture 
in 1 Timothy 2, and we're going to spend time probably next week on that, the clear teaching is it exposes the fact that women should not teach or preach or have authority over men. That's what the scriptures say. So to read into this passage is just doing that. And so we do not want to build a doctrine on something that where the scripture is silent. That's a dangerous thing to do. Let's look at the next woman mentioned in scripture, and that is Genia. Uh, now, Gina is uh, in Romans 16, verse 7. It just says, and sorry that I, I butcher some of these names, but greet uh, Antiochus and Gina, my kinsmen and fellow prisoners who are uh, outstanding among the apostles, who also were in Christ before me. Now, some like to, to mention the fact that this is possibly a feminine name. And people make a big deal about this. I have no problem with this being a female. Because just like Priscilla, if it's a female, maybe it's, she's being mentioned with her husband, the first person mentioned, if it's a female. And so if that's the case, if she's mentioned with her husband and there's no mention of any role in the church here, just saying to greet them because they're his kinsmen and fellow prisoners. Okay, so they're related to him, so he's saying, hey, greet them. Does that mean they're pastors, that she would be a pastor? No. So any use of this to insert or assume that she has any role in the church leadership or role of teaching, again, is what we would call eisegesis. Let me explain that word. Eisegesis means to put into, and exegesis is to take out of. So to eisegete a passage means you're putting a meaning into the passage, and to exegete a passage is to take the meaning out of the passage. What we want to do is to know God's Word, which means to exegete, to take the meaning out of the passage. And what people do with this passage is read something into the passage that's not there. They say that because she's mentioned, she must be a pastor. Now, there's many people mentioned in the Bible that are not pastors. Nobody seems to think that Adriacus is a pastor. There's no, none of these people are arguing that, and yet he's mentioned. So the fact is, is that these are just people that are mentioned, and he gives the reason they're mentioned, because they're his kinsmen and his fellow prisoners who are outstanding among the apostles, who were also in Christ before Paul. That's why he has the, this message and greeting. In fact, this is in a in Romans 16. What's special about Romans 16? The whole chapter is nothing but greet this person, greet this person, greet this person, greet this person. Now, he's saying this in the Roman church. This must be a really big church if every one of these people are pastors. You see, when we look at this even logically, the people who say, well, she must be a pastor, she must be teaching, she must be preaching just because a woman is mentioned to be greeted— but they don't argue that every other person mentioned is a pastor or somehow teaching or preaching. You see, this is not the way to do Bible interpretation. This just mentions that Gina, uh, Jania is uh, mentioned in relation to Paul and to greet her. That's it. Just greet her. So to, to do anything more is to, well, it's to abuse the text. Just remember, the, the one who is the father of twisting Scripture is Satan. We don't want to be like him. 
We don't want to take Scripture and make it say what it does not say, but very clearly take it for what it does say. And so all that these so far we've seen is these, these women are mentioned, and they're mentioned not in a way of having a church leadership role or any function they're doing in the church, other than housing the church in their home in some cases. They're working with Paul, they're working with others, but the one you see them working with is their husband. Okay, so Eukidia and Syneche is another. This we see in uh, Philippians 4, 2 to 3. Let's look at this. I urge Idodia uh, and I urge Sikidia to live in harmony in the Lord. Indeed, true companion, I ask you also to help these women who have shared my struggle in the cause of the gospel together with Clement, who uh, Clement also and the rest of the fellow workers also named here in the book of life. So Paul mentions these two women who worked alongside him for the gospel. Now note, working alongside the gospel doesn't mean preaching. It doesn't mean that they were church, doing church pastoring. They weren't leaders in the church. It just says he worked alongside them. In what capacity? We don't know. But the sharing the gospel is not preaching. I know that people call it that today in many places, but what we have to realize is that when we look at it, it just says that they shared in the gospel. Now, the word true companion in verse 3, by the way, some take that as a formal name. The name, If it's a formal name, the name means true companion. So he may be using that name uh, to point out that he's a true companion. But he wants these two women to act in harmony. So just saying, if if they're pastors in the church, um, he has words for how to deal with that in 1 Timothy 5, 19 and 20. He's, if, if that was the case, he would say that they're continuing in sin. You, re, you rebuke them publicly so all would fear. He's not doing that. So right there says that either Paul is not following the the scriptures or well the, the the what he would later write so it wasn't the scripture yet but but the the doctrine that we'd have for how to handle discipline either he's not following that or they're not pastors i think it's probably easier to say they're just two women in the church that are causing division and he's asking someone to work with them paul mentions them as working alongside him for the gospel not preaching they worked with clement oh Oh, so they worked with Paul and Clement. So how do you know? Maybe it was Paul and Clement that were reaching out to the men, and they reached out to the women with them. That's possible. Maybe they were in the marketplace, and and the the ladies would go and minister to the other women. Possible, because in that culture, the men wouldn't talk to women. So is it very possible that in sharing the gospel, you had the men talking to men and women talking to women? Yeah. So were the women then preaching to men? Probably not. Even if it was the gospel, they're probably sharing it with women. Again, as with the other, there's no evidence that they taught anyone. So we, so far, all of these have not shown anything that shows any kind of leadership role that they have. It's asserted and assumed. It could, it could just as easily be that Clement did all the teaching and the other women sat there silent. The, the scripture just does not say. So to build a doctrine on this is to make the scripture say something it does not 
say. We got to be careful not to do that. Let's look at the next passage, and and these are uh, some of these are getting uh, more and more the arguments that I hear that are taking a little bit more time as we're going to get onto some of these later ones. So just bear with me as we we do that, and I hope that I'm not putting you to sleep with all this yet. But if you are sleepy, I'll just tell you, you can always stop and re-listen later. But if you are sleepy, before you put your head on your pillow, just ask yourself whether your pillow is a good enough pillow to give yourself a great night of sleep. Maybe it's not as good as you can have. Maybe you should consider going out to MyPillow.com and getting yourself a MyPillow so you can get yourself a better night's sleep and just use the promo code SFE, that stands for Striving for Eternity, to not only support yourself to get a good sleep, but support the ministry here at Striving for Eternity because as you buy any products from my pillow not only do you use that discount code to get yourself a discount but it also lets them know you heard about it here so that they continue supporting this show so if you like this show many ways you can support one you can always go to strivingforeternity.org support that's the best way especially with monthly support since we have monthly expenses but you can also go to our sponsors like my pillow buy yourself a nice pillow use promo code sfe and that is another way of supporting us Let's look at Lydia in Acts 16. Acts 16, starting in verse 13, looking down to verse 15, it says, And on the Sabbath day we went outside the gate to the riverside, where we were supposing that we would be a place of prayer. And we sat down and began teaching and began speaking to the women who were assembled. A woman named Lydia from the city of Tyre, A seller of purple fabrics, a worshiper of God, was listening, and the Lord opened her heart to respond to the things spoken to Paul. And when she and her household had been baptized, she urged us, saying, If you have judged me to be faithful to the Lord, come into my house and stay upon us. And if we skip down to verse 40, we see her mentioned again. It says, and they went out from prison and entered the house of Lydia, and they saw the brethren, and they were encouraged them and departed. Now, notice, this is how Lydia was converted. So what we see here is she was a new convert, not a leader. There's no way to say that she was a pastor, because a new convert shouldn't be a pastor. There's nowhere where she's saying she's preaching. And in fact, the, this, the, the scripture is saying that, again, it's that she had a big house, and they met at her house. So to, to argue that she was somehow a leader, when, when the scriptures are, are clear that a new convert shouldn't be a leader, that the text doesn't say anything about her being a leader, a pastor, or even a preacher, she's a new believer. So once again, to build the doctrine off of this passage, or the, 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 to look at Lydia as justifying pastor's can be women or preachers of men could be women is to insert it and assume it it does not come from scripture now one that gets a lot of discussion is phoebe i hear this one a bunch phoebe in acts 16 again sorry romans 16 and what is romans 16 again i mentioned it before it's a list of people that paul says to greet and this is the first of the list And it says in verses 1 and 2, 
I commend you to our sister Phoebe, who is a servant of the church, which is at Cathanthia, uh, that you receive her in the Lord in a manner worthy of the saints, and that you help her in whatever matter she may have need of you. For she herself has been a helper of many and of myself as well. Now, people say, well, see, it says that she's a servant of the church. Hmm. What is this word that we have here for servant? Phoebe is mentioned as a deaconess, a deacon. The servant, the word for deacon is the word for servant, a waiter of tables, a feminine version, a deaconess, deaconess, um, you have a woman deacon. Now, that means she definitely is not the pastor, and she wouldn't be the preacher. Can a deacon teach? Yes, there are times when we see deacons that would preach and teach, but that's not their role. Their role was as a servant. By the way, little history note, why do we have the word deacon when we had a perfectly good English word? Because at the time that they were translating deacons, instead of being servants, were leaders in the church because they created this hierarchy of system where they had bishops and they had cardinals, they had all these different things, and they had deacons, which were the lay leaders. And so it was a way to have leaders that were not paid that were in the church, but because they were being disobedient to the scriptures there. What did they do? Well, if they translated it properly, then everyone goes, oh, a deacon's a servant, not a leader. And that would have been a problem for them. So what do they do? They create a new English word, mistake. We should have kept the word servant because that's what a deacon is, a servant. So a servant is not a pastor, not an overseer. Their role is not to have oversight. Their role is not to teach. I will state, this could be a, a further discussion. Maybe we'll get into a discussion of what is a deacon. But I have no problem with a female deacon if... Note I said if, if the deacon is nothing more than a servant, that the deacon is not in a role where they're making decisions for the church. That's the elders' roles, the pastor's role, the overseers. That's their job. That's their the name of their title is to oversee. And so that's what they do. So as we look at this, we have to recognize that this is the role, I believe, that is exclusive to the men to be the pastors, the women can be deacons. You can have male and female deacons. In fact, I think it makes a lot of sense because, you know, you don't want to have, if you have a single woman and you need someone to go and, and, and meet with her and take care of her, help her and serve her, you don't want one of the men going over. You want a woman going over. Now, you can have a husband and wife is fine. But I believe in First in Timothy where it talks about deacons and their roles. It mentions the women. I think those women are female deacons. Uh, there's some who disagree and think it's, it, it's the wives. I think that, again, <clears throat> that goes back to the translation issues we have when the, the Bible is being translated because the deacons then were leaders and women couldn't be leaders. And so they said deacons' wives. But the word there for wife could refer to someone specific's wife, and it's used that way in Scripture, when it's referring to a specific husband, when it mentions the, the husband. In general, it could just be women. And so that term could be used either way. We could spend more time on that, but 
if you have questions with that, just email me and we'll, we'll see if there's much interest. Maybe we'll dig it into that a little bit more. But info at strivingforeternity.com. So some, you know, we, as we mentioned, this is the word for deacon. Uh, deacon. Uh, it's, it's true that some deacons uh, have also been pastors or preachers. Um, they, be, they leave the deacon role, become a pastor. It's true that some deacons, we see them teaching. Stephen is a deacon. We see him teaching. Uh, preaching is fine. Some pastors uh, can and should be servants. I'm not saying that, you know, they, they, you can have someone who, I mean, every pastor should have a servant leadership. They, they shouldn't see themselves as above the church, but they still have roles to serve. But there's a position in the church known as deacon. And the pastor is one position of oversight and leadership where the deacon can be male or female, but that is a servant role, not a leadership role. That it may be hard to understand because so many of the churches give the position as deacon uh, as, a, as a leader in the church. And I just don't think that's a biblical model. If they're having oversight, call them pastor. If you don't think they're qualified to be pastor, they're not qualified to be deacon anyway. It's not like a deacon is a stepping stone to pastor, okay? So it's not like you become a a deacon and then you're on the roll to pastor if you do a good deacon role. No, the deacon, think of it this way. The pastor's role is the oversight of the church, looking at the long-term planning of the church, making the decisions, and the deacons are the ones that carry out the day-to-day operations instructed by the the pastors. Maybe that'd be a helpful way to see it. Some claim, though, that Timothy, who is also a pastor and is also called a deacon or servant, therefore Phoebe is also a pastor. Do we see that anywhere in Scripture? I, I already said it could be that someone is a pastor and does do service. They better, by the way, this is called an association fallacy. An association fallacy is an informal inductive fallacy uh, of the hasty generalization or red herring type. Now, let me explain some of those. So it, what it does is it asserts by, you know, an rel- association that has nothing to do with anything. So it's an irrelevant association that basically says, okay, you have one thing. So in this case, Timothy is mentioned to be a deacon. He's also a pastor. Phoebe is mentioned to be a, a, a deacon or servant. Therefore, she must be a pastor. That is a hasty generalization, which just means you're, you're making a generalization in a hasty way. Um, or it, it, you know, what some would call red herring. The red herring is a red herring fallacy is just you, you distract with something else. But this is more closely would be an association fallacy because what's happening here is people who do this are associating something with Timothy, okay, and saying, well, if it's true for Timothy, it must be true for Phoebe. And there's nothing that correlate the two. Just because Timothy is a pastor and does service doesn't mean Phoebe, who does service, is also a pastor. That's the association, and it's one that's irrelevant. And so this is why I say it. This is a fallacy. If it's, an, if it's a fallacy, it's an invalid argument. And if it's an invalid argument, 
we shouldn't make this argument because it's not going to be from Scripture. God is not illogical. He's not going to use things where we have to use illogical arguments to make doctrine. The doctrine is going to be clear from Scripture. So all this to say that Timothy is a pastor, he's also a servant. Phoebe is also a servant, but the conclusion that because Timothy has two titles means that she has two titles is invalid. Okay, let us spend some time with the last person in our list. And this is the one we're going to spend the longest amount of time with. But this is the one that has the strongest argument. And I'll be honest with you, I think this is the worst case that people can make. And and you'll see why in a moment. Let me read. This is out of Judges chapter 4, starting in verse 4 to 14. And then we're going to look at the first 21 21 verses of chapter 5. I'm going to read this because it is lengthy, but it is important. This is dealing with Deborah. I want to read this, and I want you to notice some things with Deborah. There's going to be two issues that we want to address. One is the roles between the religious roles and the civil roles that we see. There's going to be those two aspects. There's a religious leader and a civil leader. We're also going to notice one thing really important in this. I want you to notice as I read through this the words of Deborah. And you see if Deborah is commending Barak for this behavior or if she's offering a judgment on him for this behavior because I think we're going to see quite clearly uh, what her view is on whether she should be doing this. Now, you could say if she thinks it's wrong, why did she do it? Well, we'll get to that. Let's start. This is Judges chapter 4, verse 4. And by the way, if you're listening to a Christian podcast that's all about biblical interpretations and applications and you're upset with the reading of Scripture, what's wrong with you people? To quote R.C. Sproul. Um, (laughs) I can't do it as as well as he does, but... uh, I do think reading the scripture is important because I want us to get the context of this so that people can't say, oh, Andrew, you're taking it out of context. I don't want to just say what the scripture says. Let the scripture speak for itself. So it says this. Again, this is Judges 4, starting in verse 4. If you have your word of God open, read along with me. Now, Deborah, a prophetess, the wife of Lipidoth, and sorry again for my pronunciation names, was judging Israel at the time. Um, she used to sit under the, the, uh, under the palm tree of Deborah between Ramah and Bethel in the hill country of Ephraim. And the sons of Israel came up to her for judgment. She sat and summoned Barak, the son of uh, Anomium uh, from Kiddush Natali, and said to him, Behold, the Lord, the God of Israel, has commanded Go and march to the Mount of Tibor and make with you 10,000 men from the sons of Natali uh, and from the sons of Zebulun. I will draw out I will draw out to you Sira, the commander of Jebun's army with the chariots and his many troops in the river Kanush and I will give them into your hand. Then Barak said to her, If you will go with me, then I will go. But if you will not go with me, I will not go. She said, I will surely go with you. Nevertheless, the honor 
shall not be yours on the journey that is that you are about to take. For the Lord will sell Sarah, Sarah into the hands of a woman. Then Deborah rose and went with Barak to Kadesh. Barak called Zebulun and Naphtali together to Kadesh, and 10,000 men went up with him. Deborah also went up with him. Now, her, now Heber and uh, Kenot uh, had separated himself from the Canaanite, Canaanites, from the sons of Haban, the father-in-law of Moses, and had pitched his tent as far away from the oak in Zimeon, which is near Kadesh. Then they told Sarah that Barak, the son of Adomian, had gone up to Mount Tabor. Sarah called together all his chariots, 900 iron chariots, and all the people who were with him from the Herath Hamonium to the river Kadesh. Deborah said to Barak, Arise, for this is the day in which the Lord has given Sarah into your hands. Behold, the Lord has gone out before you. So Barak went down from the Mount of Tabor with 10,000 men following him. Now, we drop down to chapter 5, skip over to the part about the, the battle to see where Deborah is mentioned again. So this is chapter 5, verse 20, verse 1. Then Deborah and Barak, the son of Adobium, sang on the, that day, singing. Oh, and I should mention, by the way, just the note that what ended up happening was uh, the the JL Heber's wife took a tent peg uh, to Barak and uh, killed him. And so it was a woman who actually killed him, which would be a disgrace in that culture, by the way. So as we see in the way it was worded, but let's read verse one of chapter five. Then Deborah and Barak, the son of Adobium, sang on that day, singing that the leaders led in Israel, that the people volunteered, blessed be, bless the Lord. Hear, O kings, give ear, O rulers. I to the Lord will, I will sing. I will sing praise to the Lord, the God of Israel. Lord, when you went out of from Seir, when you marched from the field of Edom, the field, the, the earth quaked and the heaven also dripped. Even the clouds dripped water. The mountains quaked at the presence of the Lord. This Sinai at the presence of the Lord, the God of Israel, in the days of Shagamar and the son of Ath, in the days of Jael, the highways were deserted, and the travelers went by roundabout ways. The, ple- the pleasantry ceased, and <clears throat> they ceased in Israel, until I, Deborah, arose, until I arose a mother in Israel. New gods were chosen, then war was in the gates. Not a shield nor a spear were seen among the 40,000 in Israel. My heart goes out to the commander of Israel, the volunteers among the people. Blessed, bless the Lord. You who ride on white donkeys, you who sit in the rich carpets, and you who travel on the road, sing at the sound of those who, who divide the flocks among the watering places. There shall... Uh, There they shall recount the righteous deeds of the Lord, the righteous deeds of his pleasantry in Israel. 
Then the people of the Lord went down to the gates. Awake, awake, Deborah. Awake, awake, sing a song. Arise, Barak, and take away your captives, O son of Abion. Then survivors came down to the nobles. The people of the Lord came down to me as warriors. From Ephraim, those whose root is in Amalek, came down. Following you, Benjamin, with all your with, with your peoples, from Makar, commanders came down, and from Zebulun, those who wield the staff of the office, and the prince of Issachar were with Deborah, as was Issachar, so with Barak. Into the valley they rushed at his heels. Among the divisions of Reuben, they were great resolve. They there were great resolves of heart. Why did you sit among the sheepfold to hear the piping of the flocks? Among the divisions of Reuben, were, uh, there were great searchings of the heart. Gideon remained across the Jordan. Why did Dan stay in ships? Asher sat in the seashore and remained in the landings. Zebulun was a people who despised their lives, even to death. And Natali... Uh, also with the high places of the field. The kings came out and fought. They then fought the kings of Canaan and Tanakh uh, near the waters of Megdigo. Sorry. They took no plunder and silver. The, the stars fought from heaven. From their courses they fought against Syrah. The torment of Kadesh swept away the ancient Torah, the Torah of Kishnan. Oh, my soul, march with strength. Then the horses uh, and the hooves beat from across and dashed the seed. Um, curse, Morez, said the angel of the Lord, utter the curse of the inhabitants because they did not help the warrior of the Lord to help the, wor- the, to help the lords against the warriors. And, and this goes on to the end of the chapter with what she had said. No, no, no more mention of her. So why do we bring this up? Okay, I, this one I want to spend the most time on if I can, if you'd bear with me with this. So what it says here is Deborah is a prophetess, the wife of Lipheth. Um, and so I know some people will say right there, oh, see, see, she's a prophetess. That means she's a pastor. No, a, a pastor's not a prophet. A prophet's not a pastor. They're two separate functions, two different roles with two different groups of God's people. This is a different functioning that God has for people. So let's deal with what it says. So Scripture also mentions that Deborah was a judge of Israel. She's mentioned in the list of judges. So people come to her to pass judgment, civil role not religious role. That becomes important. She's acting as a judge, and as a judge, she's... Now, is she getting direct revelation from God? Yes, that's what Scripture is saying. By the way, it's direct revelation, which makes it equal to Scripture. Why? Because it's coming from God. And notice, no one questions when they get direct revelation. No one questions whether it's from God. No one questions what it is. There's not this direct revelation that takes human interpretation. It's direct revelation. And they repeat exactly what they heard directly from God. 
There's no questioning of it, and everyone recognizes that it's direct from God, and it's prophecy. Unlike the prophecy claim today where people go, oh, you know, I got to interpret that. I heard from God. I heard a voice, but I could be wrong because uh, that's just how I interpreted the direct revelation. No, there is no interpretation in direct revelation. Just like there's no interpretation when, when Paul writes Romans, it is inspired because it comes from God and it's direct. It's not Paul's interpretation of the revelation. It is the revelation and that's what direct revelation means. That's what prophecy is. So she's a prophetess, so she repeats exactly what she heard from God. That means she's not teaching. It means she's not leading. It means she's telling you what God told her to say, just like the women at the tomb that are told to go and tell the men, this is what Jesus said. And what do they do? They pass exactly pass that message on. That's no different here. So people came to her to pass judgment in civil matters, not religious matters. That is an important distinction that I make here. But verse 6 states that she summoned Barak. The word in the, in, that we would have here, uh, if we look at the Greek manuscript, is to call or appoint. Okay, so the, the Hebrew doesn't have that distinction, but when the Hebrew scholars were translating the Hebrew into Greek, they used a word here in the Spetuagin, which is the Greek translation of the, of the Hebrew, means to call or appoint. However, as one is continuously reading the Scripture, uh, it's clear that it was the Lord who commanded Barak, not Deborah. So some people will make a big point to say, well, see, in the Greek, it, it has this appointing and she's commanding him to do something. But all she's doing is following God's order. She's calling for Barak because God called for him to come to Deborah. And so she's sending message. So it seems that it was known that God called Barak to lead the army. And she calls him to do what God commanded him to do. But Barak... Uh, could not be a man. He could could be a man very much like Jonah, who he knew God's command but didn't want to do it. Maybe he was afraid. He was afraid to do it, and he wanted Deborah there. Why might he want Deborah there? Well, for one reason, he's afraid, and maybe what it comes down to is he sees that Deborah is God is speaking to Deborah, and he just feels that if Deborah's with him, that he would have God's favor. This is very similar to what we would see in the Old Testament when they'd bring the Ark of the Covenant to war because they feel God's presence in there is there. We see this other times in history, by the way, with Joan of Arc, okay, where the king wouldn't go to war without her. She had to be there because somehow like the good luck charm. Maybe that is how what he's Barack is thinking here, that, that having her there would be, um, would be the good luck charm. So it, it, he's, he's saying he—so who is it that's asking her to go in the position and, and be with him? It's Barak, not God. That's an important distinction to, to note. It's important to note that going to war at that time was seen as a religious activity and not a civil activity. So when Barak will not go to war without Deborah, she states a judgment on Barak— that because of this request, he will not go out and get the glory that the general of the army would get for winning the war. Instead, 
because he wants a woman to go with him, the judgment is that the Lord will will give um, will will give that honor to the hands of a woman, which was would be a judgment on him in that day. So this is not a good thing. Deborah is saying that there's a judgment on him. Okay, a judgment that will come. She she says that that he will not have the honor that he should have, but a woman will get it. Therefore. She is clearly not in favor of a woman involved in the warfare. She goes. This is very much, I think, like we see in Numbers uh, 20, uh, 22, 23, 24, where you see um, Balaam, who, who is, he, he really wants to go with Balak, but he knows it's wrong, but he keeps asking, and God says, fine, you can go. And we know it's God's will because he went. But, and yet, in his going, what he was doing was disobedience, and he did it, but it was for God's purpose. So Deborah is going as a civil leader. She's saying it's wrong. Now, we could argue whether knowing it's wrong she shouldn't have gone. I I would say, yeah. But she's going, maybe part of her direct revelation. She knew that Barak would ask this, and she knew she would go as a judgment on him. It could be, but what we do know, so, you know, I'm not going to read that in and say that is what it is, but what I can see clearly is she says that his asking for her to go and her going was a judgment on him, and because of that, he wouldn't have the honor he should have. And in Judges 5, the song that we read that's from Deborah, the song of Deborah and Barak, it's clear that Deborah separates herself from the leaders as she does not include herself uh, with them in verse 1 and in verses 7 to 9. She even more so separates herself from the leaders, referring to herself as the mother of Israel in in verse 7, and uh, her heart goes out to the commanders of Israel in verse 9. So you see, she's not putting herself at the level of the leaders. She makes the separation there in her song. So in conclusion, Deborah was not functioning as a religious, in a religious activity or in a religious role as a judge, but as a civil one. Yes, she's called a prophet, but in Exodus 7, 1 to 4, we see that to be a prophet at the time of Moses, uh, at the time of Moses and before the time of the kings, meant to speak for God. So in a civil role, she did speak for God as a judge. It is important to note that when we speak of a woman as pastors or preachers, it is in a religious activity and not a civil one. Therefore, a man may be able to work for a woman in a secular job, but that does not mean she's a pastor or could be a pastor or or leader in a religious activity such as the church. That distinction has not been made from the text, and to build a doctrine from the life of Deborah or to insert or assume that, therefore, women can be pastors and teachers when the Scripture does not say that, says the opposite, is to, again, read into the text what the text does not say. We do not want to be students of Satan and read into Scripture what it does not say and to take Scripture at... uh, 
making it man's word, but God's word. And so the fact that she's mentioned to be a prophetess, let me read what it says in Exodus 7, 1 to 4. Then the Lord said to Moses, see that I make you as uh, make you as God to Pharaoh, uh, and your brother Aaron shall be your prophet. You shall speak all that I command you, and your brother Aaron shall speak to Pharaoh that he let his, the sons of Israel go out of the land. But I will harden Pharaoh's heart, and I will uh, multiply my signs and my wonders in the land of Egypt. When Pharaoh does not listen to you, then I will lay my hands on Egypt and bring you out of my host, my people, the sons of Israel, from the land of Egypt by great judgment. What you see here is that a prophet is one. You have two prophets mentioned here, Moses and Aaron. And what are they going to do? God is going to speak directly to Moses. Why, why is he doing this? Because remember, Moses said, I, I, I stutter. I'm not a man of good speech. And so he's saying that God is going to speak directly to Moses. Moses will speak directly to Aaron, the very direct words of God that makes Aaron a prophet because he is relaying to Pharaoh the direct revelation that came from God to Moses to Pharaoh. What makes him a prophet is the relaying of the direct revelation. That is what a prophet is. Now, now we could say, okay, someone who reads Scripture is a prophet because they're relaying the direct revelation of God. That's true. That would be fitting in that definition. But then someone who interprets the Word of God is no longer doing that. Now that's not what a prophet does. A prophet doesn't interpret God's Word. They relay God's Word. And that's the difference there. I hope this has been helpful for you to see I, 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 that though Deborah is the the most difficult of them, and I sp- that's why I spent the most time with her, it's something that we have to recognize that from the, the clear passage of Scripture in, in Timothy 2, 12 to 14, a woman should not teach or have authority over a man. And so what you end up seeing is none of these passages that anyone uses goes against that passage. All except for Deborah, it's just women who are mentioned. They're mentioned usually along with their husband, or they're mentioned because the church meets in their house, but none of them are mentioned in a leadership role. And so here you have just the mention of someone being a prophetess does not make them a pastor or teacher, because a prophet is one who relays the direct revelation from God. That's what we see. And so even when you have, uh, I, I forget the name in Acts, I should, I should actually add that to this list. In Acts, there is a woman who's mentioned as a prophetess where she prophesies something with Paul. Again, is that a problem? No, because what is she doing? She's relaying the direct word of God. If a woman was to read scripture to a man, I'd have no problem with that. That's no different than what a prophet would do or a prophetess, is to relay the direct word of God not interpreting, not instructing the men in any way, but relaying what God says. So something to think about. It comes down to definitions as well. But notice that all these passages, not one of them, actually refute what Timothy, 1 Timothy 2, 12-14 says. 
So looking at the biblical arguments made for women pastors, women preachers, are, do any of these convince you? I, I would hope not. In fact, I would hope that you walk away going, wow, these are really bad, lame arguments, because they are. I hope this encourages you to realize that the more we dig into Scripture— the more we look to the, the right interpretation, the more we're going to have an accurate understanding of God's Word. So may this encourage you in God's Word. May this cause you to dig in deeper to the study. We're going to continue next week. Maybe, I'm not sure if, I'm, I'm going to look to you guys to let me know. Email me, info at strivingfraternity.com or contact me on Facebook or Twitter or whatever. Let me know if you want more If into this, we could dig into specifically looking at 1 Timothy 2, 12 and following, some other passages to see the, the arguments made against women teachers. I, I kind of made that in last episode, but if you want more, we'll do that. If not, we're going to move on in our series on what is a pastor. And until then, that's a wrap. This podcast is part of the Striving for Eternity ministry. For more content or to request a speaker or seminar to your church, go to strivingforeternity.org.